We straight? We good? Alright, because I got clips. I got heat. That's how we start the work week with Reggie Wayne threatening a group of Titans fans at the NFL draft. I don't know who did it better, Reggie Wayne or Pat McAfee this weekend, but the Colts brought the heat. They had a great draft, and they had some great draft announcements. It is a sports pen on ESPN-UP. Danner Hoops with you Monday afternoon. It's one of my five highlights of the week every time I get to sign on and talk to you. Charlie Bramer in the studio with me. He's back after a little bit of a hiatus, man. How's it going? I was on a hiatus. My hiatus was nice. I really appreciated you letting me call in and, and do the segment last week. And now I come here with my tail between my legs. I should have extended my hiatus. Oh, we're starting off talking basketball, and, and man, it, it, it's going to be rough. But at least you can enjoy it sitting over there in your Celtics jersey. Yeah, we've got the Celtics and Bucks to break down as well as the Warriors and Rockets. Before we get to basketball, though, who did do it better? Was it Reggie Wayne or Pat McAfee? Because this was pretty good, too. I got to go Pat McAfee just yeah. because you know I'm a Pat McAfee fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, for the last 10 years, I was... Uh, uh, when I knew he would be on Bob and Tom, I, I I don't usually listen to Bob and Tom. Don't get me wrong, people. I'm not endorsing Bob and Tom, but when I knew he would be on Bob and Tom co-hosting, uh, I would listen. I think Pat McAfee is a gem, and uh, but but Reggie Wayne, man, he he pulled it off. I mean, what they kind of came from different whatever you want to call it they did it in a different way but they Mm -hmm. both worked it was fantastic and 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 really i thought those were kind of the highlights of the draft is is what is this guy gonna say next you know it was a lot of fun remember last year when the eagles were the defending champions the draft was in dallas and david akers had his big old speech and uh trolled the cowboys fans he was fun too i don't know which of those three i like the best but Man, they got to get more of these. Like, can you imagine if we started doing that on day one? Teams brought out some legend to do one of those long, funny speeches. What the ratings would be like for the draft if they did that early on and not on day three? Right. Yeah, well, of course, the commish, no matter how much he gets booed, Goodell is always going to want to do the first round, of course, uh, get his hugs in. Uh, That's going to be about the only day the players are ever going to love him. So he's going to want to soak that up. but but I agree. Uh, I heard the whole David Akers spiel again this morning. They were going over all that on the Levitard. So so they were playing they were playing all that stuff and and I really did. I had forgot how fantastic Akers was, man. Those special teams guys. Um, I guess since all they do is stand around during practice. They, they get to be pretty funny. <laughs> well, we're going to get Sebastian Janikowski to do one of these here in a few years from what it's sounding like. I tell you what, let's jump into the NBA. Had two games yesterday, and neither were very good for the two NBA MVP frontrunners. Boston topped the Bucks 112-90, and the Warriors beat the Rockets 104-100. to Tell you what, there was a lot of doubt if the Celtics could come into the series and they could sneak it out against Milwaukee. A lot of people thought the Bucks might breeze through it, and I'm not by any stretch getting too far ahead of myself because this is still the top seed in the Eastern Conference for a reason. I'm encouraged as a Celtics fan by what I saw yesterday. Series is far from over, though. I mean, it's going to take three more performances like that to get it done. Al Horford yesterday, I mean, he was just everything that Boston wanted him to be when they brought him over. If you look at, and, and this is what I've been worried about, is Al Horford. I mean, last year in the playoffs, who killed the Bucks? Al Horford. If you look at the splits with him on off the court, 
I mean, obviously Kyrie's their best player. Mm-hmm. Obviously Gordon Hayward's a better basketball player than Al Horford. Mm-hmm. Al Horford is their best statistical player when he is on the court. It's mm-hmm. unreal. And, and, and there are a lot of things I could get into. You know, Eric Bledsoe, an absolute no-show. Yeah, um, Lopez, Sterling Brown. Combined for 12 points, those three. Yes, and at one point, they were a combined one for 17 or one for 20 from the floor halfway mm-hmm. through the third quarter. And Bledsoe was getting some open shots early. Um, another guy, big letdown, Ursan Ilyasova. Yeah. Nothing but turnovers. His last shot was an absolute air ball. Um, Pat Connaughton did not shoot well. Um, he played good defense. The thing is... Boston played really well, but I actually think they still have another level to get to. Guys like Jason Tatum were not super involved in the offense. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, guys, uh, Brown, Rozier, they hit some open shots. Um, But the the problem is is they were left wide open. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, the Bucs have much, much more uh, to, to, to lean on as far as potential. But the scary thing from a Bucks fan perspective is, is Boston has another step to take too, I believe. And and if Milwaukee does not come out and in, in equal their intensity, um, it it is not fun to play from behind against that Boston defense. That might have been the best game Al Horford has played during his Celtics tenure. You know, this series is still far from over. I think Boston is a deeper team. I think they've got more scores deeper in that bench. But I think Milwaukee has the best player on the floor in this series. And Giannis, I mean, he had 22 points. Wasn't efficient. 7 of 21 from the field. But, man, he's going to bounce back. You can't expect Giannis to play like that throughout the entire series. Middleton was doing his thing. 16 and 10. He had a double-double. They need help from the rest of the team. You know, they need that supporting cast. Outside of Miritich and his 13 points, they really didn't have that. So my question for you is... Milwaukee is without one of their most efficient offensive players in Malcolm Brogdon for at least one more game. Can they win this series without Malcolm Brogdon? I really, I really, really thought they could. I definitely think they could beat Toronto or Philadelphia without Malcolm Brogdon. But when you start to look at the matchups and when you see how, for whatever reason, Eric Bledsoe is laying eggs in the playoffs against Boston, maybe they can't. I, I still firmly believe they can. I still think the Bucks are going to win this series in six. Um, just just with the fire in Giannis's eyes, uh, I, I just that did not sit well with him and, and other guys on the team. I really want to hit on this point. You said something really interesting. Um, I, I was out. I know we got some listeners out in Scandia. I like to go into the, the general store out there, talk with uh, Charlie DeVoe and some, some good guys that I know out there. They're big basketball fans, and they're telling me, the Bucks don't have the depth Celtics have. The Bucks don't have the depth. And I cannot disagree with that more. But after seeing that game, it it did not make me feel good, and it made me feel like, man, maybe those guys are more right than I thought. But but you look at it, Tony Snell started. I mean, how many games for the Bucks the last two years? Like fifty games the last two years. He didn't play until garbage time. Um, um, there are guys on the Bucks bench that simply did not play. Um, I don't understand why. You know, Tony Snell is just, he's a 3 and D, prototypical 3 and D guy. Uh, if somebody's going to guard, you know, Gordon Hayward, it was really unsettling how he was torching Pat Connaughton. On paper, throughout the season, I like that matchup, Connaughton on Hayward. But 
Hayward was playing like Connaughton wasn't even there. Why not put out Tony Snell? I don't get why some of these other guys weren't getting minutes earlier on. I, I'm really hoping that they get integrated more throughout as as the series goes on. I, I hope these guys get minutes. Where was DJ Wilson? Ersan Ilyasova's out there in the first half, 0 for 4, uh, you know, turning the ball over. Why not put out DJ Wilson? See what he see what he can give you. You know, w when they were down 18 or 21 points halfway through the third quarter, why not put out DJ Wilson and Tony Snell and see what they can inject into the team? That is the most disappointed I've ever been with this new Bucks coaching staff. I really thought they would go to their bench because I still firmly believe the Bucks have a better bench, but it just was not being utilized, and, and it, they didn't even give themselves a chance. But but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe Boston does have the bench, and maybe their bench is out coaching uh, uh, Milwaukee's. And this series is far from over. Just I'm not getting complacent. I was happy with how yesterday went, but you know that's not going to be the case. They're not going to blow out the Bucks by 22 points in the next three games of this series and sweep them by any stretch. This is going to be a dogfight tooth and nail series and i can't wait to see what game two tomorrow night holds last point on game one it was the third largest game one loss by a number one seed in the nba playoffs the largest game one loss by a one seed was also dealt by the celtics back in 1985 the wow. lakers lost to boston and that was the biggest game one loss by a one seed since the 1992 trailblazers were beaten by mj and the bulls wow so Boston takes a one nothing series lead. Toronto up one nothing in their series with Philly. They're playing tonight, game two. Yes, and and one last thing um, to hit on uh, with the Bucks here. I just I I am so perplexed. What is it about Al Horford? He's not super athletic. He's not. I mean, obviously he's strong. He's big. He's strong, but he's not known for. I mean, being like a, a, a some kind of a Shaquille O'Neal type dominant physical presence. You look at at who Detroit had to possibly match up with Giannis Thon Maker, seven one seven two, tallest. Or uh, he had the he set the record at the NFL or at the NBA scouting combine, highest vertical leap by anybody six foot eleven or taller. Huge wingspan, moves his feet well. He can't guard Giannis. Uh, Blake Griffin, 6'10", same size as Al Horford, way more athletic. He can't guard Giannis. Wh how, what, what is it that Al Horford has that he can just magically match up with Giannis? Because this is not a one-game sample. Al Horford has dominated Giannis in the past, and so has Morris. And that's another thing that weirds me out is, is how are these two guys with, obviously they have some physical gifts, they're in the NBA, but there are guys with these physical gifts on every other NBA team. They can't stop Giannis. What is it these two guys are doing? Giannis is matching up with a player who specifically specializes in his defensive ability. Like Horford is going to be an all-defensive NBA player this year, and I think that's where his offenses generate from. He literally embodies generating offense from your defense. He makes himself a premier defender. I firmly believe you don't have to be a good basketball player to be a good defensive basketball player. And that's not to say Horford isn't a good overall basketball player, but he specializes in defense first and foremost. Whereas I think a guy like Blake Griffin is an all-around guy. He's a scorer, and he's a better scorer than Al Horford is. Horford, though, is about as good of a defensive big man as you're going to find in the NBA. It's just so funny to me because, like I said, there are so many guys out there that have 
um, more what what I would say way more physical gifts and and it seems like the motor I mean I was so imp- impressed with Blake Griffin he is such a different basketball player um, than I, he left it all out on the court in that series against Milwaukee if I was a Detroit fan I love what I have with Blake Griffin as a centerpiece for our, for their team he just I mean he was beating his body up doing anything he could against Giannis they couldn't stop him um Joel Embiid the last two games against Philadelphia Giannis has scored like 90 points combined he's just torching these guys Al Horford has the secret and so does Morris I mean these guys have what it takes and and I don't really know what that is but they have it Tell you what, game one of yesterday's Western Conference Semi, the Warriors take down the Rockets 104-100. to Controversy maybe late in the game with James Harden wanted a foul call on a potential game-tying three. Didn't get it. Afterwards, they tracked down an offensive rebound and turned it over, and then Chris Paul was teed up for the second time of the game, equaled an automatic ejection. So Harden afterwards said that he just wants a fair shot. He just wants the game to be called the right way. Tell you what, I like the no call on his potential game-tying three-point attempt. He's been doing that all season, trying to draw the foul. I didn't see anything that warranted a foul. You saw him extend his arms a lot more than Draymond Green did. And if you're really an MVP caliber shooter like he is, you know, he's an MVP candidate, he's a reigning MVP, he's one of the best shooters in the game, you don't be looking to draw the foul in that situation. You're looking to make the cold-blooded shot. That's what you're on the floor for if you're as good of a scorer as you say you are. Tell you what, I don't think it was a foul on that shot. I thought it was more of a foul when Chris Paul was trying to pass it back out after collecting the offensive rebound. I thought they could have called a foul there if they wanted to. And Dan Tony, he threw it out there that the refs told him they missed four uh, shooting calls, outside shooting calls earlier in the game. Yeah, at um, halftime. And, and I, I think that must be what, what these guys are going for. That must be Harden must have been looking for a makeup call. Because this is playoff basketball. He's played playoff basketball. He's got the experience. He's got to know. You might get that call in the regular season, but even at the reg, even in the regular season, at the end of the game like that, it's probably going to be a no call. Mm-hmm. And you know how that goes. The whistles, you know, refs swallow their whistles, and as they should. And it almost seems like, like you said, James Harden. What was he doing? It seems like he put more effort into trying to draw the foul than making the shot. Mm -hmm. Make the shot, man. I tell you what, game one of tonight's Blazers and Nuggets series in Denver, probably the most uncompelling playoff semifinal that we've had in a long time, but those fan bases are happy with it. Isn't it funny, too? Because they're good teams. Yeah. They are solid they're more than solid teams, and and there's a little star power there. Mm-hmm. I, I I it's kind of funny how 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 the Rockets and the Warriors and uh, they're just really eating it all up. And and really, if the Bucks were playing Toronto uh, right now, in in Boston was playing Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Boston series would get all the news. And and so it's kind of funny how certain teams just they just eat up all they get they get all the time. Um, luckily, the Bucks are playing Boston right now, so I'm able to talk about the Bucks. Um, but yeah, you get series like Trailblazers Denver, and and 
man, I, I don't know what it is because, like we said, the stars are there, the teams are good, but we just seem to gravitate towards teams like the Warriors, teams like the Celtics, um, and, and I guess there's really nothing wrong with that. These teams have big fan bases, and they've been doing it for a long time. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. We owe you our first time out when we come back. The NFL Draft 2019 edition in the books. Recap it next in Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. Glad that you're with us on this Monday afternoon. Post-NFL Draft, one of my favorite events of the entire year. And a lot of teams come into it with optimism. You know, it's a big celebration of football. You know, Super Bowl Sunday, you've got two teams that are going at it. We get to celebrate football and what have you. But draft day, there's that optimism that every team is going to get better. I'd like to say most of them did. Well, I'm not sure about it. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of minutes, specifically highlighting the Packers and the Lions and how their drafts went. Well, you're a Packers guy, Charlie. What'd you think of this year's draft class? I, I really think, you know, they got some potential stars in the first round, but we know how that goes. Rashawn Gary, I, man, he could turn out to really be a stud in the NFL. Uh, really he seemed like one of those guys that could have gone right from physically from a physical standpoint could have gone right from high school to the nfl i mean he's an imposing defensive presence he's got the speed he's got the strength he's got the size he's got the motor sometimes yeah um the motor is there when they want it to be you're really hoping playing for an attacking defense such as the Packers employ with Pettin, uh, you really hope that that gets him more involved mentally, but he could turn out to be another Dayton Jones. Yeah. You know, he could turn out uh, early in his career. Nick Perry, you know, was really underwhelming, turned out to be a good player that just couldn't stay healthy. Um, the safety, you know, he's a big hitter. Uh, he's, he's supposed to attract the ball well, looking you mean Savage. Yeah. Darnell Savage. Yep, yeah. uh, safety out of Maryland. Um, he seems to be a guy that he's a hard hitter in the run, and, and he can track the ball. He could. They're looking for a guy in the back end. Adrian Amos has brick hands, so they're looking for a guy that can uh, force turnovers in the back end of that defense. Um, I, I, I like the pick, but, but really this was a draft where I thought – the best value, and, and, and I think everybody's been saying this now, rounds two through five, even two through the end of the draft, I really think there was a lot of value there. And with the fact the Packers had two first-round draft picks, they could have really, really got some value in those second and third rounds to fill out this roster. But you can see what they're doing. They're going for now. They're going for star power. They need these guys who can contribute now. So they didn't trade back. Um, they traded up. And, and that's unusual for the Packers. Um, they, the only time they've ever done that is guys like Clay Matthews and, and guys that they're really sold on. So, so hopefully it turns out well for them. I just thought there was real value in the third, fourth, fifth rounds for offensive linemen. Obviously they drafted a guard uh, 44th overall. I thought that was a strange pick. Usually the Packers only pick tackle tackles um and and because tackles you can typically move inside um so this draft 
for me it was a strange one and 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 people are talking about grades i get the packers a c mm. i'm really not over overly impressed with this draft but but it's going to be a wait and see um i liked picking up a tight end yeah, i Jay like sternberger and he's a good one too the, that guy at texas a&m and they've got always got the athletes coming out of that school good one in round three yep i could i could be biased when i say this with a round six pick but Dexter Williams at the running back position, watched him for a lot of years at Notre Dame. I, I'm a little surprised he went to the sixth round. I don't yeah. know how well he'll translate to the NFL, but the dude's got wheels. And if he's got wheels and can stay healthy, he will get touches in Green Bay. Um, and, and that was actually one of the picks that really I could give the Packers a C plus, maybe not a C. Um, that was one of my more favorite picks. I, I really liked that pick. There was real value in that pick. Um, and and being a Notre Dame guy, it's like I said a few weeks ago. It's it's like Notre Dame is just infiltrating all my sports teams, um, and and all of them, all the guys on my favorite sports teams that come from Notre Dame are are really producing. So so I like that pick, and and like I said, you know we've been seeing him run. Obviously, you've seen him way more than me. I always liked him. He he doesn't seem like he he coughs up the ball. He seems like he can do a little blocking. It's a good it, late round pick for it, them, man. Yeah. And he's got serious, serious wheels. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't know, you know, what what type of run offense are the Packers going to employ now? Um, they 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 were one of the better teams in the NFL at yards per rush. Um, but but what type of run scheme are they going to employ? Is it going to fit his style? Um, that's wait and see. But that was actually one of my more favorite picks. That that in uh, the tight end on Texas A and M, I was really happy with that pick as well. Appropriately, it is Notre Dame Day today. Oh, there so you go. So that works out pretty well. Well, look at you, Notre Dame Day. You're <laughs> in your Celtics jersey. What a day for you, man! It's been a good day. It's a good day for Irish Catholics, I would right. think too. Yeah, if only the sun was shining. Yeah, uh, it's not a great day for weather up here in the UP. Still cold out there. It oh, was yeah. freezing it's, when I came it, in here. Oh, it's cooled off since this morning. I I I dropped my mom off at work this morning because we we carpooled into town today, and I'm like, oh, it's it's not too bad out this morning. And then I'm like the lake is glass, and no, hmm. not anymore. I tell you what, Dave Burkett, the Lions beat writer from the Detroit Free Press, he'll be on the show tomorrow, and he'll give us some in-depth analysis. But give me your initial thoughts on how the draft went for Detroit this year. Obviously, they started out with TJ Hawkinson, eighth overall, top overall tight end in this year's draft. I really thought that was a reach for him. They reach for tight ends. How many times now have they reached for tight ends and it did not work out? Eric Ebron? Yep, Eric Ebron. But yeah, there's been several tight ends the Lions have reached for. I thought this was a reach because there were other tight ends that would have been available in the second, third rounds for them. Obviously, tight end is a position of need. And and if this guy is as good as advertised, which in college he was, um, and, and an Iowa guy, another guy you're very familiar with. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, Iowa and, and another brain fart, they had another tight end which I actually liked him better watching him. Yeah, I was actually, I would have much preferred, uh, from a Lions perspective, them uh, picking someone else in the first round than going for Fant later on. Although, um, I'm not even sure where he ended up going. Um, It seemed like Hawkinson just really was, you know, he was the main target. He was where that quarterback was going with the ball. And and I, I feel like Fant really did not get his due and 
just but watching him run routes, watching him block, I really thought Fant was every bit as good as Hawkinson. Obviously, Mel Kuyper would would slap me in the face probably for saying that. Um, I just with the draft with me, you know, you can get a really good guy like Hawkinson, and he could be a really good football player, but I just don't see the value there for that high of a pick, especially at a position like tight end. Um, um, tight ends are available later in the draft. There are good tight ends available in free agency, guys that could plug and play guys. And, and so to spend that high of a pick on a tight end, and also you, you look at – what you're going to be paying him now you're paying him this this top tier first round pick contract it's nice to have that fifth year option on a guy but but you're really really paying a tight end it'd be nice to be playing to be paying a more premier position that type of money than than to be sticking that into your tight end it's just kind of funny that you know there's so many new new you know new coaching staff so many new faces in in detroit and they go with the tight end uh, they go with another top 10 pick with tight end. I think that's funny how things work out. You mentioned Noah Fant. He ended up going to Denver. He's there along with Drew Locke. I thought the Broncos had a really good draft. Drew Locke was my number one quarterback in this draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the boy on Mizzou, right? He might be yeah. the number one in Denver right now. He might get the nod over Flacco. I would not be surprised. He's just, you look at what he can do physically, the tools are there. I mean, he can make all the throws. Uh, I was watching, I, I can't remember where I saw it. It was some video online somewhere. You know, side-by-side comparisons, him and Aaron Rodgers, the throws they were making, he didn't quite seem to have the juice on the ball, didn't quite seem to have the zip. But the accuracy, wow, I mean, it was impressive. Um, he's obviously not a super big guy, but he's got the wheels. But, but yeah, Locke was my number one quarterback. And, and overall, you know, the Lions filled areas of need. And, and with the draft, they always say, BAP, you know, best available player. But at the same time, if you need a tight end or, and you need a safety and they're there, you take them. You know, so the Lions get another, you know, C, C-plus grade if you, if you want to talk in that type of quantitative measured, you know, however you want to put it. I I didn't I don't think they they blundered this draft, but I didn't think they hit a home run. Kind of similar to the Packers. Tell you who else had a good draft. They always seem to the New England Patriots, oh, and I boy. thought Indianapolis really looked good in this draft as well. And and with what Indianapolis did last year in the draft, and then this year what they did in the draft. I mean, if, if it's anything like last year, which all indications lead us to believe it will be. Oh man. I mean, you you might be talking Super Bowl yeah. Super Bowl matchups now. We could have a Colts Browns AFC Championship this year. How fantastic would that be? <laughs> How fantastic would that be? But we all know it's going to be Colts Patriots. I know. Yep, yeah, Patriots are going to find a way to <laughs> to get back there again because yeah. they had a great draft. I like Winovich to New England. I yeah, think that could be a good fit. I thought that was a in in and then. You know, uh, you see a guy like that play throughout college. Obviously, I saw a lot of them, and and you think, man, this guy has a motor. He he's going to be a good NFL player. And then he falls to New England. And then as soon as New England takes him, you're like, oh, I knew it. I knew this guy was good. But now he just, mm-hmm. he obviously, now he just went up a whole nother level. He hasn't even played a snap since I seen him last. But he just got that much better. <laughs> he just got that much better. If they're evaluating him that good, he is that good. 
They get maybe Tom Brady's heir apparent. They pick up Jared Stidham from Auburn. I thought they might try to go with Will Greer, and I'm honestly a little surprised Will Greer didn't go a little bit higher. Not much, but maybe a little bit higher. Tell you what, the guy I think maybe was the biggest snub in this draft was Tyree Jackson, the six foot seven quarterback out of Buffalo, ended up signing with the Buffalo Bills as an undrafted free agent. But man, you can't teach six seven. He's got a cannon of an arm. I mean, even if he's not a quarterback, you got six foot seven. Man, put him out and catch the ball. Yeah, six foot seven and some beef. Yeah, he's and a big guy. And he moves well. He moves well and he's a tough guy. He's not just, you know, uh, uh, some, he, you know, he's not a typical quarterback. He's a physical presence. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, if he has a good camp, he might win this starting job. He might not just make the team. He might win that starting job up there. I mean, he's got to be better than Nathan Peterman. He's got to be better than Josh Allen. I mean, I would think he's got to be at least as good as Josh Allen and, and probably better. I mean, definitely, I would say probably definitely a higher ceiling. And I know Nathan Peterman, to clarify, doesn't play for the Bills anymore. It's right. just he comes to mind in a of Bills course. uniform. Of course he does. That You have every – I mean, we'll be, we'll be throwing that. That name is going to be synonymous with Buffalo Bills football mm. for a long time. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you here in the sports pen. We owe you a timeout. When we come back, we'll break down the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs and one month into the MLB season, how are things looking? That's next in the sports pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. Here's your Sports Center update. USA Hockey top Canada 5-2 yesterday to capture the bronze medal at the U18 Men's World Championships. This marks the 16th consecutive year that the U.S. has medaled at that tournament. NFL kicker Sebastian Janikowski announced his retirement after 19 NFL seasons. Janikowski was the 17th overall pick in the 2000 draft. He made 436 career field goals, tied with Jason Elam for ninth overall. The only active player left from the 2000 draft is Tom Brady. And finally, a 50-year-old man in northern Mexico was arrested after he accidentally trapped himself in a hole he dug underneath his ex-girlfriend's house. She filed a restraining order against him after he was convicted of domestic assault, so he decided to tunnel under her house to spy on her. Unfortunately for him, he became trapped. Authorities rescued him and subsequently arrested him. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer. <laughs> what? what? How does that even work to try to dig under a house to spy on somebody? Well, you know, that's what that's like the number one way people have been robbing banks now for a while. Is that right? Yeah, they they get access to some property next door and, and dig tunnels. Um, you know, that's a big problem at the border, um, it, or at least it was for a while, you know, digging tunnels underneath the border, hauling stuff into warehouses. I mean, it's incredible with with just some minor with some minor equipment what just average guys can do as far as tunnel digging. Uh, I guess if, if you're going to do something like that and you can't bug the place, I guess it's dig a darn hole. Hey, you got to be good at digging the hole. Apparently, this guy wasn't. No, right? Trapped I guess himself not. underneath. That it sounds about right. That sounds like what would happen if I tried to dig a hole. 
We have got your hockey update coming up. Before we look at the Stanley Cup playoffs, it has been confirmed this morning. Northern Michigan will visit Boston University on October 18th and 19th. A two-game series, a rematch of the 1991 National Championship, which Northern won their only hockey national championship in school history. A rematch almost three decades in the making. It's going to take place on the banks of the Charles Rivers this fall. Man, that's going to be a lot of fun. Please don't say almost three decades. Please say how many years it was because that's the year I was born. Oh, my God. What are you doing to me here, Tanner? This is just brutal. What a day. What a day. Oh, man. Uh, Let's pivot over to the NHL then and save you a little bit of that. Thanks. Hurricanes pick up a 2-1 win over the Islanders yesterday, and they take a 2-0 series lead. It looked like the Islanders had momentum after sweeping Sidney Crosby and the Penguins in four games. It looked like Carolina stumbled a little bit, but they were able to get by the defending cup champion Capitals four games to three. And now the bunch of jerks are up 2-0 early on in the series. And they look like they're just off and rolling. Elsewhere, Colorado beat the Sharks 4-3 to yesterday. They tie that series up at a game apiece and a wild one. I tell you what, I love this time of the year with the Stanley Cup playoffs. My team's not in it anymore. But man, this is fun because you get great hockey every single day. Yeah, and, and, and the wonderful thing about the Stanley Cup playoffs, and correct me if I'm wrong, but three of the four current, uh, they're tied at a game apiece. Mm-hmm. And... and that's what you love to see mm-hmm. and and you know hopefully hopefully the rockets can come back and hopefully the bucks can come back win game two make it more interesting like that but that's what you love to see out of playoffs is competitiveness all the way through and it seems like the nhl provides that more often than say baseball playoffs or or nba playoffs well, I tell you what, tonight it is game three between the blues and stars as the series shifts to dallas puck drop is at eight o'clock The series is tied 1-1. And we've been seeing between those two cities, other professional athletes have been coming out and supporting those teams. Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott were at the Stars game in their first-round series with Nashville. And then a couple of days ago, Yadier Molina, Michael Walker, and Dexter Fowler were all there at the Scott Trade support the Blues. So I kind of like that when you see other pro athletes in that city come out and support the team. Oh, yeah, and, and you know, you've been seeing that with NBA guys going to NFL games and, and vice versa, but I haven't seen as much of it with, with NHL. Um, but it's almost like a union. It's mm-hmm. like these players got to stick together, and, and, and they're showing love finally to the NHL, um, understanding that uh, people watching NHL is not going to take away from their product so so you like to see that. You like to see that it's almost like a brotherhood. Um, if you're a professional athlete, you know, these guys sticking together, it, it's a good thing. Well, I tell you what, over the weekend, the three finalists for the Hart Memorial Trophy were announced. It's given to the NHL's most valuable player. Weirdly enough, none of the three finalists are still in the playoffs. Nikita Kucherov, Tampa Bay winger. Edmonton Oilers young superstar Connor McDavid and then Sidney Crosby, the Penguins captain. All three, the finalists for the MVP, none of them are still in the playoffs. I don't think that could happen in the NBA. Um, more than likely not. Although, you know, the two, like you said, the top two MVP candidates in the NBA are in some trouble right now. Yep, yep. And then the third is, he's out. I mean, Paul yeah. George isn't even an MVP candidate yeah. anymore. Is there, yeah, was there really a third after about uh, February 10th? 
Probably not. Probably no, not. We knew it was a two-man race. It's pretty official now. And, and what, I mean, I don't want to get off topic too much, but it's just so compelling, the arguments, because I'm, I'm so pro-Giannis, and then when I hear an argument that's pro-Giannis, I'm just like, yes, that guy could not be more right. And, but then when I hear an argument pro-Harden, pro I'm like, geez. That guy could not be more right. There's some good points so it, to both of them. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's just a shame we have to wait so long. I, I kind of wish it, they had they, they announced that a little sooner. I'm excited to see how it plays out between these two. Uh, Harden is going to need to get the thought process of, I'm going to hit the three-point, I'm going to hit the big shot like Curry did yesterday from 29 feet out yep. to go up five with 22 seconds left. Not, I'm going to draw the foul and go to the free-throw line. That's not what screams MVP to me. I don't think it's going to happen the rest of the series, but Horford cannot outplay Giannis if that's going to happen. No, that's certainly true, and a big part of MVP is mentality. And in what you're talking about there with James Harden is not MVP mentality. And, you know, James Harden gets to the line more than any player in the NBA, so I don't really know what he's complaining about. Obviously, he wanted that particular call, but Jiminy. <laughs> Jiminy. I don't know how, how else to put it, but Jiminy. How many calls do you got to get? I tell you what, we're far enough along. Let's save the MLB for our final segment. Let's do an update on college baseball. I love following it. I wish it was a bigger deal in this country. Unfortunately, it has not been for a while. The top three spots in this week's rankings all belong to the Pac-12. Pac-12 gets criticized for football, for basketball. Baseball, I think they found their niche. UCLA holds a number one ranking. They're followed by Stanford and the defending champions from Oregon State. Vanderbilt checks in at number four. And Arkansas cracks the top five this week. How about Michigan? The Wolverines they are still in first place in the Big Ten. They are just half a game ahead of Indiana, but they've won eight in a row. And and I would really like to see a Big Ten team, you know, uh, just just start to make some national noise in college baseball because it just seems like with recruiting they're at such a disadvantage. Um, you know, last year, uh, was it the Mets, I believe, uh, they picked up the highest drafted player uh, out of high school, the highest prep player um, drafted out of the state of Wisconsin was the sixth overall pick. You know, so there's never been a top five pick in the M MLB draft uh, really from anywhere in the Midwest. You know, these kids are at a great disadvantage. It puts the Big Ten schools at a great disadvantage for baseball. So I'd really like to see one of these teams get competitive. And and and, and I think that would make more college baseball more intriguing uh, for this part of the country. Other parts of the country, college baseball is a very big deal. And there are some people, to some people, the College World Series is the biggest event of mm -hmm. the year. And, and and I've seen guys get a little overpassionate on, on, you know, shows like Tosh Bueno and different different shows that play, you know, they'll play clips of these goofy guys uh, getting a little bit over the edge. But you, you can't say they don't love uh, their college baseball. College baseball and the World Series, that was a big deal, at least if you were growing up in my hometown, a couple of hours from Omaha. It's a tradition, even if you don't have a team in the hunt. You go down there at least once during the summer and take in a little baseball. It is weird, though, and you bring up the Midwest and how maybe it has a lack of enthusiasm for college baseball. I'm from Iowa. Iowa State doesn't have a baseball program anymore. You're from Wisconsin. The Badgers don't offer baseball. But you go out west and you look at where a lot of the recent national champions are. They're out west or they're in the south. LSU, 
Oregon State, South Carolina, Arkansas, Vandy, Stanford, all those schools limited pretty much to geographical regions of the country and and i think that's the way it's going to stay unfortunately you know i would love for for michigan to be able to really put it together but how how can you compete when you know it's just like with anything else how can you compete when you're not getting the recruits it's like a non-midwestern wrestling school trying to compete for the national championship exactly and and i think the midwest will take wrestling Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. We owe you a timeout. We'll break down what's happening in Major League Baseball. Christian Yelich leaving yesterday's game oh. with a possible injury. Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. We talk a little hardball to end this Monday afternoon. It was a tough weekend for the Brewers and the Tigers. Milwaukee falling yesterday 5 2 against the Mets. Although maybe the big story from that is Christian Yelich. He struggled with his back last year. He left during the fifth inning of yesterday's game on an attempted steal. It appeared that he tweaked it. Man, I mean, he just cranked his 14th home run over the weekend, too. This guy's on pace for 80 and probably another NL MVP. And the Brewers, I mean, they're struggling right now. You know, they're a game over 500. Am I right in saying that? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're 15 and 14. Yep. And, man, they just flat out need him in the lineup right now. Oh, absolutely. And and they had dropped to 13 and 13 after getting swept unmercilessly by the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, obviously, the Dodgers pummeled them. Um, this weekend was an, a bit of a nice reboot. Uh, last week, uh, the Brewers were on a stretch of they had scored 24 runs, I believe, straight came via the home run. That is not sustainable. I don't care how good of a home running hitting team you are. The Brewers are currently the best home run hitting team in the National League, even surpassing the Dodgers, which is a little bit surprising considering the Dodgers' star power. No team can sustain relying on, you know, 25 runs straight via the home run. You know, you're talking three, four, five games worth of runs all coming via the home run. Well, then the weekend, they they really took it to Jacob deGrom on Friday. That was fantastic. They were they were able to lay off, aside from Azumani Grandal, they were able to lay off the high fastball. Um, they were able to poke breaking balls to the opposite field. And they were able to put together, I believe, they scored 16 runs or 18 runs uh, Thursday and Saturday against Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard. Um, and only two of them. They, only two of uh, home runs were hit in those games. So they were able to finally put together some big innings, uh, five-run inning, four-run inning, without hitting home runs. Um, yesterday, their only runs came off of a Mike Moustakis two-run jack. But my afternoon yesterday, so I get done watching the Brewers, or watching the Bucks get toasted by the Celtics, and I had the Brewers game on pause because they were playing at the same time. I start watching the Brewers game. Ryan Braun is tracking a Pete Alonzo fly ball back to the wall. It looked like he had a great play on it. Some guy leaned over and dumped his beer on Ryan Braun's head <laughs> as he was trying to catch the ball. Um, Alonzo made it all the way to third base. 
and I thought if anything the umps would say okay that's essentially a ground rule double that's what they would usually do um, if a guy reaches third base and there's any fan interference involved from what I've seen in the past correct me if I'm wrong they usually assign the runner they put him back at second uh, they reviewed the play and somehow they claimed uh, the guy dumping a beer on Ryan Braun's head did not have any effect on the play well it definitely affected Ryan Braun being able to pick up the ball. He would have held him to a double if it wasn't for that, and it, it did end up costing them a run. Gio Gonzalez ended up pitching pretty well, gave him five uh, innings of two-run ball, which that is a fantastic pickup for the Brewers. They need somebody who can who can eat some innings, but at that point, after after the uh, the beer was dumped on Ryan Braun said, I I was like, well, I'll watch the rest of this game later. I, I went outside for a few hours. I had to take a break from sports for a while, um, and the Brewers ended up tying that game at two. Ended up losing. The, it is their pitching right now. They have the worst starting ERA in the National League, and I believe the second to worst uh, bullpen ERA in the National League. Something's got to give. They sent Corbin Burns back down to the minors. He he threw four and two-thirds scoreless and struck out seven yesterday. Freddie Peralta threw th four and two-thirds, I believe, scoreless, also struck out seven. So these guys have proven now. They've gone back to the minors. Obviously, Burns was demoted. Freddie Peralta's on a rehab assignment. But they've proven they can play at the highest level in the minors why can't they play at a decent level in the majors? It's like there's no in-between for these guys. Brandon Woodruff, I believe, is throwing tonight. Something's got to give. These guys have all the arm talent in the world. They've got really good catchers behind the plate. Obviously, Yasmani Grandal is not the greatest defensive catcher, but he calls a really good game. There is, you know, he's been calling games for Kershaw. I mean, some of the greatest pitchers in the National League. And, and it is not translating... Milwaukee right now and their young pitchers have to find it because like I keep saying they have all the talent in the world it's not sustainable they're lucky to be 15 and 14 right now they are lucky to be above 500 with how horrible their pitching has been Greg Council did say that it doesn't appear to be an injury list move for Christian Yelich. He will not be in the lineup tonight when the team opens up a 10-game homestand. But as of right now, he's listed as day-to-day. -day. Yep. A tough weekend for the Brewers in that sense. But man, about everything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Tigers. They blew that lead on Friday night where Chicago comes back and they win 12-11 on Tim Anderson's walk-off home run. Where's this Tim Anderson been for like his entire career? I... I don't know what got into him or him swinging the bat, but give that guy a drug test or something. I just, I don't know where this came from. I'm sure they are. And then yesterday, what a tough scene for the Tigers. They're held to two hits, and they strike out 19 times as they fall to Chicago 4-1. to Been there, done that as a Brewers fan uh, for years. <laughs> you know, with the Tigers, they've been, I think it's very fair to say, they've been far far outplaying expectations and at some point they were going to come back down to earth and i guess that's what's happening now um it was going to happen sooner or later obviously with the with the ronnie garden hire you know anything is possible with his teams i when they hired ron garden hire i was i was so thrilled for my my uh detroit tiger uh fans uh, all my friends who are tigers fans you know what an amazing hire um 
if anything, I thought Minnesota should have made a play at, at hiring him. I didn't think they should have fired him they, in the first place. They definitely should never have fired him in the first place. Um, but but that is the perfect guy to build this franchise back up. He's the perfect guy to get the most out of players. So when it comes trade deadline time, they can flip them, get more prospects. Um, there are some prospects in the Tigers system like uh, Casey Mize. In Casey Mize, there are some outfielders. Stewart, uh, well, he's been up in the majors now for, you know, I haven't been paying a ton of attention as much as I should to the Tigers. I paid a lot more attention to him last year. I've actually been looking into their minor league players a lot. Mike Cameron's son is down there, and he's got all the tools. If he can just hit for average, he'll be called up in no time. Honestly, I believe the Tigers have some guys in their starting rotation now that really, really have some talent. A couple free agents, a couple surprise, uh, a couple surprise promotions. You know, some 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 guys maybe outplaying expectations. Uh, Ronnie G could have this team playing top-notch baseball. They could be a playoff contender in two years. I mean, really three years at the most, I would say. The biggest difference between Garden Hire now and when he was fired by Minnesota five years ago is he's actually starting to take a look at analytics and implementing them into his managerial style. The biggest complaint with Garden Hire over the last few years is that he's still stuck in 2006. You know, he's an old school manager and he's starting to build an analytics team around him in Detroit and they're starting to factor that more into the game you just you have to at this point in the game. You've got yeah. the saber metrics, the information necessary. You have to start taking advantage of that. Yes, and 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 you know, obviously you can't fault Ron Gardenhire for being hesitant to to incorporate stuff as much as other teams because all the guy did was win. And and when you're successful like that, especially in your own way, you're going to be hesitant. Um he knows that the game changes, you know. He he is open to criticism and he is open to outside ideas. He might be the last one to implement them, but he's open to them. And 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 he is a guy that can keep himself relevant and I love what he's doing with the Tigers. You know, you look at what they're putting out on the field as far as uh defense and as far as an offensive lineup uh day in day out. It's it's kind of surprising. Uh, I believe have they lost their tenth game yet? They're twelve and fourteen. They're to, okay. Yeah. Well, then what I was looking. But they at, are over exceeding for the level of talent they yeah, have. I got them mixed up. It was the Twins I was looking at. There you the, go. The Twins are one of the last teams that are still. Uh, they're one of two teams that are single digit uh, losses, um, which. You know the twins have been red hot lately. Go twins! Second best record in the MLB. Yeah, and and I love the twins. Uh, growing up in River Falls, Wisconsin, um, I always forget the guy's name. Uh, but but whenever I'm down in the area, uh, I, I'll flip to the twins uh, game just to hear his voice. Uh, Is that Dick Bramer? Yeah. There yep. you go. Yep. And no relation. No, and and he spells his name differently yeah. than mine, and that's why I can never remember that he's got pretty much the last same name, and I can still never remember his name. I've interviewed him before. Oh, great guy! Yeah. What Won a baseball guy! Yeah. You did? I did. That's way cool. I'd like to hear that yeah, interview. I've still got it here somewhere. Maybe we'll play it for a sports pen sometime. That'd be great. That'd be great. When in 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 ten years, when you're off and famous, <laughs> we can go back and we'll we'll I'll still be here making my guest appearance is you'll be off and famous, and, and we'll play that one day. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, uh, this Minnesota team, 
They've hit 49 home runs before the month of May. I mean, you said hitting home runs isn't sustainable, but right now the Twins are thinking, why not? Because they're spreading it up and down the line. I don't think anyone has more than six on their team right now, and I think that's Eddie Rosario. But they have guys up and down the lineup that can really hit the ball and hit it for power. Uh, As a Twins fan, it's fun to see. My favorite stat from over the weekend is that their previous team record for home runs hit before the month of May was set in 2002, and that was 22. They still have two more games left in April, and they're at 49. Wow. Mm. When that was playing in in, uh, in the Metrodome, obviously. Uh, but, you know, home runs, obviously, I, and I, I want to I backtrack on that statement, because I, I did say home runs are not sustainable. What I really meant was relying on home runs right. to score is not sustainable. Look at the... 2008 Milwaukee Brewers look at the 2011 Milwaukee Brewers they could not hang with teams in the playoffs because all they did to score runs was hit home runs you got to be able to play small ball and and that's what made the Brewers so good last year was a combination of small ball and home runs and that's what the twins are doing now they're hitting for power but when you hit home runs there has to be guys on base the Brewers are hitting all these home runs way way too often there's nobody on base way too many solo home runs uh luckily Christian Yelts has had Lorenzo Cain and one of the biggest surprise offensive stories for the Brewers of the last month has been Orlando Arcia yeah, he's starting to find his bat the last month he's batting well over 250 he's slugging over 750 or 800 for the last month I mean in his on base percentage he's starting to draw walks hit the ball to right field with his defense he's been making just unbelievable plays this year i really really think did you see lorenzo Cain's uh rob of Mm -hmm. the todd father on friday i think that was the greatest catch of the year so far i really think lorenzo Cain and orlando rc are going to win gold gloves this year if orlando can continue to hit you know anywhere somewhat decent i think i think his defense is good enough i think they'll both win gold gloves this year i tell you what I wish Minnesota could play the Baltimore Orioles 130 times a year because that team is really, really bad, that Orioles team. Minnesota just swept them. They've now won 12 in a row against Baltimore. Wow. And they have hit 23 home runs in six games against them this year. That's incredible. So I wish Minnesota played them a lot more. Their season series is already done. But And that Baltimore team is going to lose over 100 again. They're going to rival Miami for being the worst team in baseball this year. Doesn't help they play in a division with the Rays, who are surprisingly the best team in baseball at 18-9. and nine. Do you think the average baseball fan could name four players on the Rays roster right now? You know what? I don't know if I could name four <laughs> players on the Rays roster, but I could name four players in the top 100 that are Rays prospects. Okay. So how interesting is that? And and don't make me do that right now, please. No, nope, no. Nope. But <laughs> I'm trying to think of Rays in the major, like Blake Snell, obviously. Oh, and and two years ago, I was just all about Blake Snell. Mm-hmm. And uh, isn't he? He was off to a bit of a slow start this year. A little bit. Um, but the Rays are just barely scratching the surface of what what was an interesting rebuild but not rebuild for them um but i think that's an interesting conversation just as much of an interesting conversation of who's the best two teams in the majors who are the worst teams baltimore miami it has to be i would have to say miami's worse i think baltimore has more potential mm-hmm. um as of now but but then again miami's really been stockpiling some talent i just think their talent's a few years away 
Well, I tell you what, before we sign off, just about out of time, let's take a look at tonight's scoreboard. We'll take a look at the games that are going to occur this evening. St. Louis visiting Washington. Michael Waka opposed by Corbin Burns. First pitch at 7.05. 7.10. Oakland visits Boston. Frankie Montas takes on Eduardo Rodriguez. 7.10. The Reds visit the Mets. Tanner Rourke has been good against the Mets in recent years. He will take on Zach Wheeler. 7.20. The Padres and the Braves. Nick Marjevic against Mike Soroka. 740. It's the Brewers opening up their 10-game homestand, taking on the Rockies. First meeting since the NLDS between these two. Kyle Freeland opposed by Zach Davies. Then at 740, Houston visits Minnesota. Justin Verlander dominated the Twins last week. We'll see how they do in round two as he's opposed by Jake Odorizzi. 810, Baltimore visits the White Sox. Rookie John Means will get the start for Baltimore. Takes on Manuel Bonuelos. The Rays visit the Royals. They were a little fiery when they last met. We'll see if that carries over at 815 tonight. Ryan Stanek takes on Brad Keller. And then the nightcap at 945. The Dodgers visit the Giants. Ken Maeda is opposed by Jeff Samarja. So a lot of good baseball on tap for this evening. Okay, you said Patrick Corbin. Corbin, yep. Okay, for some reason I thought you said Corbin Burns. Patrick Corbin is one of the I, because I figured that's who it was. Start. He's a very underrated left-handed pitcher mm-hmm. for the Nationals, and that's just another team. Man, the NL this year it is so tough. In in the Cardinals now, seventeen to ten. Marcelo Zuna is back to his old Miami self. That is a scary lineup, folks. And and I just baseball with the parity. There are a lot of good teams. Every team has its strengths. Every team has its weakness. Makes it a lot of fun. I I just. Before we sign off, like you said, what a shame. Uh, Christian Yelich getting to 14 home runs. He's got a few games left before May 1st. And and I thought he had a real chance to break that record uh, considering he's playing against uh, Colorado pitching, which he's torn up at Miller Park. Um, Hopefully he can get a few pinch hit at-bats, maybe get that 15th dinger uh, and set himself apart. And when you're setting yourself apart from names like Albert Pujols, uh, and and Alex Rodriguez, that's special stuff. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. Glad to be with you as always. Appreciate you as always, my man. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Tanner. And and yesterday was a rough sports day. Coming in here talking about it, man, I'm cheered right up. I'm looking forward to game two. And is that on Tuesday? That'll be Tuesday night, I'm tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Place your bets, people. That's it for us in the Sports Pen. For Charlie Bramer, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to Sports Pen on ESPN-UP.